So we're going to be continuing our series this morning in uh, Philemon. Uh, this is a series that you started whilst we were away. Um, and so it, I've had a, the great joy of uh, listening back on those messages that we missed and hearing uh, uh, Luke and Dan, uh, who joined and served us from Jubilee, uh, uh, sharing from Philemon. And I've really enjoyed uh, listening to those guys. Great stuff. I mean, um, isn't it wonderful to be able to be served by that wider family Um, but as I say we're going to be continuing that series so if you've got your Bibles um, we're going to be in uh, Philemon um, and we're going to be reading the whole of the letter and then I want to just draw out just a few things from that so it should come up on the screen as well thank you so much Sarah so this is Paul writing a, a letter to an individual called Philemon Paul a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy our brother to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of for every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy, I've got much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints, that's the church, the people of God, have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, Though I'm bold enough to, in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, uh, appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending my, uh, him back to you, Sending my very heart. I would be, have been glad to keep him with me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent. In order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. By your own will. For this is perhaps why he was parted with you for a while. That you might have him back forever. No longer as a bond servant, or that could be translated slave. But now more than a slave. As a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me your own self. Yes, brother. I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark Aristotle. Tarkus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
I love, I love this letter, and the more I come to it, the more I find myself loving this letter. I, I don't know uh, about you, uh, but, but sometimes you, you can come to the Bible and you can ask, you can read a bit of the Bible and you can think, What's, what is that doing here? Like, what, what is, how has that made its way in? I don't know if you've, you've noticed that as you read the Bible, it's not just a book of facts about God, and nor is it a kind of a to-do list for Christians. You know, you sometimes you see it written on billboards outside churches, you know, the Bible, and they can break down to the acronym, Basic Instructions Before Life Ends, and I, I cringe inwardly as I see that. But there's a sort of, like, there's a, a, an understanding of, of, of the Bible as it's, as it's just a, as a book of rules, or it's just a book of facts. And, and so sometimes people can run away with the Bible and, and make it into one of those things. Like, what am I meant to do? And uh, what do I, I meant to know about God? And you get people who can have wag their finger at people because they're not doing the right thing or, or because they're not believing the right thing about God. Don't you know? Da, da, da. And it's, now it's important that we get from the Bible and we understand from the Bible what God wants for us for our lives. And it's important that we uh, understand from the Bible what the Bible is showing us about God. And so it does contain facts and things that we ought to live by. But, but the reason the Bible doesn't come to us as a, you know, a school textbook does is, I believe, the same reason why when I'm introducing my wife, I don't give her, give, give you an, a, like a, bu- a bunch of bullet points explaining who she is and what she's like. You know, I, I, would, I would not know my wife if all I had of her was that. And yet, uh, there's, a sort of, there's a sort of getting to know somebody that happens in living alongside them. And so wonderfully, in the Bible, we get these, these pictures, we get these snapshots of life with the Lord, and snapshots of life with uh, God and with Jesus. And so you get these stories. And sometimes they're strange stories. You're thinking, what, what is that about? But in, in hearing these stories, we get to know God in a way as though we were there as that happened. And you see the goodness of God and his, his glory displayed in stories. You know, wonderfully, you go through the book of uh, Psalms. And these are songs, songs of worship. We did this last summer. We went through... Uh, some of the Psalms, and, and they are, some of them, they are attached to stories. So you come to the book of Psalms, it says, this was written by David when he was uh, fleeing from his son. You know, or this was written by David after he'd committed this sin. And you can go to the story, you can read that story, you can attach the prayer and the praise to a story and learn so much from it because, and, and put yourself in it. Now, what I love about this, this uh, letter is that it's, it's a letter. It's not just a book of facts about... Um, okay, these are the things that you must do to be a good Christian. But there is, we, we get pulled into the story. You know, when you come to the New Testament, you, you find yourself not with an instruction book of how to build a church or how to be a good Christian. You find yourself pulled into the story of the people of God. And what is amazing about this letter is it is full of gospel truth. This is just a personal letter. You think, how did, how did this get in here? This was Paul writing to his friend. And yet, there is something in it that it is for all of us to understand and to, to receive and, and to see. Actually, there's, there's something that's being communicated here that is for everybody always. And it's not just for Philemon. So Philemon receives this letter from Paul. I just want to put us in that story. Some of you you, you heard this before over the, the last few weeks. But, but Paul is in prison. He is, he is in prison and he writes a number of letters from prison. Many of his letters are written from prison. He's writing to a guy called Philemon who, who is a church leader. We gather this from the, or, or, or a significant person in the church. He, he gathers a church in his home, so he's got quite a big house. 
Uh, he gathers a church, probably a church about this size, you'd think, uh, in terms of kind of estimations. It'd be a smallish church, but gathering in his home. And he is a, an influential man in the town of um, uh, Colossae. And so he gathers there. And like many rich men in, in uh, the ancient world, he was a slave owner. And he has this slave called Onesimus, or uh, Onesimus, who uh, has, has worked in his household and has been a member of his household. Now, he might have been treated well, he might have been treated poorly. We don't know that story at all. But what happens is Onesimus, he wrongs Philemon. We don't know how. You know, some speculate that he might have robbed Philemon. Uh, uh, Philemon. He might have uh, stolen from his house and run away. He's a runaway slave. Now, in the Roman world, that is, that is not what you want to be. You do not want to be a runaway slave. There, is, uh, there are high punishments for running away from your captivity if you're a slave. And yet, Onesimus, as a runaway slave, he, he runs to, uh, he, and he runs away, and, and Paul may be in Ephesus, he may be in Rome at this time, but he runs away, and he in, somehow, by, the, by the, uh, the mercy and the oversight of God, Onesimus, this runaway slave, finds himself with Paul and becomes a Christian. He's wonderfully saved and he becomes a member of the family of God. He, he was a, a, a raging against the world, you might imagine, having suffered um, injustice that has been just hardwired into the world. Why am I a slave? And he suffered this injustice and he runs away from it. Having wronged his master, he meets with Jesus. You think, you see, there is God over all things, uh, ordaining and, and pulling strings so that this can happen. So somehow, Onesimus, who's run away, finds himself in, with the person of Paul, a good friend of his master, and is able to hear the gospel and become a member of the faith. And so now, Paul is writing to Philemon to say, look, this guy who was once your slave is now your brother. And so he writes... Asking for a favour. We'll talk a little bit more about this uh, next week. But he kind of, he comes and he says, I've got authority. Uh, I've got God-given authority as a leader in the church, as an apostle, a father to you, to, to demand of you that you do this thing for me, that you receive him back. He says, but, but I'm appealing not to my authority, but to your love and to your faith to do this thing for him. And so we see in this story, and, and it's one of the things, it's, these are the things that can, uh, that Dan and Luke pulled out for us this wonderful picture of, of how God is at work in the church. We've called this series kind of the, uh, the church and relationships, or we could call it the gospel and relationships, how the gospel comes and it transforms relationship. And so we see in this, we see uh, uh, Luke highlighted to us, you know, hey, look, there's, there, is a, there is a love in the gospel that overcomes offence. There is a love in the gospel that overcomes having been wronged. Hey, you've been wronged? Hey, I know you have. I know you have. And yet, here is the gospel that comes and says, I forgive you. I forgive you. God, who you have wronged more than anybody has wronged you, comes and says, I forgive you and I give you this love. I give you this life. And then wonderfully, as we step into that, the invite is, you come and forgive. You come and forgive. And so Paul is asking Philemon to forgive Onesimus. The wrong that he's done him. Appealing to his love for the saints. Appealing to his love for Jesus. And Paul, you imagine he's, he's done this work with Onesimus as well. He says, Onesimus, I know you've suffered 
injustice. I know you've suffered injustice. I know you've lived in a world that is bent against you and has made you its slave. Forgive Philemon. Forgive Philemon. And so there is this wonderful coming together, and we see that. That's what Dan highlighted, uh, Luke highlighted to us. And then Dan uh, then went on to, to look at the other thing we see in the story, which is this wonderful diversity in the church. Here it is, you know, we don't know uh, these guys' nationalities, but there's a sort of, there is a, there is a clear uh, division between these people. You know, here is a man of status, and here is a slave, and, and yet the gospel comes and says, you who are far off and you who are near, together you are one man in Christ. That is, that's the, what the gospel does. It, it pulls people together and makes one family out of many scattered. And that's, and that's something we see, you know, even looking around this room. We've seen it in worship. This is, this is something that the gospel does. Um, a wonderful story in Antioch, in the book of Acts. It says that this Antioch is this great uh, international trading hub city. You know, you imagine something like uh, Dubai or London, where many, many nationalities passing through uh, every day. In, the gospel comes to Antioch and is preached there by Paul and Barnabas. And Luke, who writes the book of Acts, he gives this, one, this little one-off comment, which I love. He says, it was in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. And you can imagine these people looking and going, you know, what do we, what do we call these guys? Because they're not just Jews, they're not just Greeks, they're not just rich, they're not just poor. They've got those weird people from the north who wear trousers in them as well. This, this weird collection of people, what do you call these guys? The only thing that seems to hold them together is Christ. And so we'll call them Christians. So sort of initially it comes as a bit of an insult, are oh, you little Christ's? You know, it's, and yet it's sort of yes. This is this is the thing that unites us. We we together are united in our faith, and this sort of wonderful picture of diversity, and this thing that we 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 so pray for uh, amongst us. Now, it's an interesting interesting to say this. This letter should become uh, part of our Bible. You know, Philemon receives it, but it's addressed not just to Philemon, but to uh, Aphia, who may be uh, a member of his household, maybe his wife. Uh, and Archippus, but also to the church. So these may be other leaders in the church, but to the church that uh, meets in his house. So this is a letter that would have been publicly read before the church. Now you imagine I receive a letter and it gets read out in front of all of you and it's about asking me to do something. That's, that's kind of what's happened here in, in Philemon. Now Philemon receives this letter uh, and, it's, and it's read out in front of everybody. This is what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to receive the one who has wronged you. And so as, as, as we do that, there's a sort of a communal aspect to it. Philemon's got a job to do, and yet everybody's got a job to do. In terms of, I'm holding Philemon accountable, but also we together receive uh, this one who has, who has wronged us, or wronged the one that we love. We together forgive him, and we together receive him, and bring him into uh, the family. And so there's something in this letter you think, Philemon, he doesn't quickly do away with it. In fact, this letter, the reason it's in our Bible is because it's been copied and redistributed. There's something to be seen in it that people go, no, we, like, I'm going to hold on to this letter of Paul and then we're going to write it out again and send it off to the other churches so that they can read this story as well because there are so many things in it, as I say, that are full of the gospel heart. So I just want to highlight just a couple of those things um, quickly and then I want to, us to pray and to think about what it means for us as a church. So Paul... 
begins by introducing himself. Hey, this is, this is from me, Paul, and from Timothy, who's with me. Um, I'm writing to you guys, Philemon, and the ones who are with you. And then he says, I thank God always in my prayers for you. Because, okay, this is, this is what's going on. I thank God because of your love for God and for the saints. Right, so Paul, just track with me now. Paul thanks God for Philemon's faith and for Philemon's love. Right, he, he attributes the love that Philemon has for God, for Jesus, and for the saints, for the church, to God. Right, that, is a, that is a work of God in us. If you, if you love God, it's because God loves you. It was wonderful. This, in the prayer meeting this morning, um, Neil burst out in prayer, and it was like he was just praying one job, which I'm going to refer to in a minute. But this kind of, this sort of, we, we love because Jesus loved us. And uh, if we don't love, it's because we don't know the love of Jesus. We can't, we can't love him and be loved by him without bursting out of, with love for others. That's what the love of God does. And Paul is saying, hey, look, you have, I, I thank God because he has moved in your life such to explode, uh, put kind of an explosive charge of love in your heart so that you are able to love him and you're able to love the saints. And I thank God for that. Your faith and your love, they are a gift of God to you. And so when we come and we gather together as, as Christians, the expectation is that God is going to meet with us and we're, and we're going to encounter his love, but his love we don't, it doesn't just get sucked up by us. There is a, uh, the Bible talks about it, it, Jesus as he meets with the, the woman of Samaria uh, at, at the well. He says, you know, anybody who drinks this water, they will become a fountain. They will become a fountain. You meet with the love of God, you'll become a fountain from which everybody will be fed. And there is this, there is this wonderful thing. So Paul is able to say to Philemon, your love, your love for the saints is an evidence that you've received the love of God. And I thank God for it. And so he, Paul, before coming to ask Philemon what he's going to ask of Philemon, this, and it's a big ask, right? This, is, this might uh, cost Philemon greatly. He doesn't know what, he's, you know what might have been stolen, if it was stolen, or, or the status, or the knock. You know, that, do you know Philemon? Yeah, he's the guy who forgave his uh, runaway slave. Yeah, what an idiot. Well, we don't know what it's going to cost Philemon. And yet Paul, he holds up again Philemon's love and faith and says, this, I'm going to appeal to this. This is what I want to, to draw out of you. This love and this faith, this love for Jesus, this love for the saints. They are, as I say, an essential part of faith. Love is an essential part of faith. So that, such that John can say in 1 John, hey, if, if somebody comes... Let's say we invite a guest speaker into Freedom Church. So they come, they might be a great, bold speaker, they might be wonderfully articulate, they might be able to recite the Bible back to front. But if they don't love, they're not from God. It's like saying, you know, I'd say you, you can walk around a hull and you can quickly pick up the hull accent. And you can quickly pick up when somebody hasn't got a hull accent. And they say, oh, I, you're not from around here, are you? You know, you can tell that because they've not got the, the hull twang. It's the same when somebody comes into the church and they don't love. You're not from around here. <laughs> you're not from God. I can tell you're not from God because you, 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 you don't love the saints and you don't love him. Now, when, when we encounter the love of God, we become uh, lovers like God is the lover. He loves amazingly. And so there's this wonderful picture as we kind of go on through the letter of the church being a family. And the church is this, this family. Hey, look, he's, he's not just... 
uh, I'm not just asking you to forgive him and to receive him now again back to his old status as a slave. I'm asking to you to receive him as a brother, as a brother. Like, we are a family. Like, and, I, and, and Paul uses this phrase, doesn't he? He says, uh, both in the flesh and in the Lord, as though to kind of double it down. Right? Not, just, not just in a kind of a weird, kind of ethereal, spiritual way of like, oh yes, this is my, this is my brother, you know, brother, brother Clive, and yet, you know, I'm, I'm saying all sorts of things behind his back as though he weren't. No, there's this, there's this kind of, no, you, there is a doubling down. He is your brother in, in, in faith and in the flesh. There is, a, there is a real, you are bound now to one another. And so uh, you kind of, you look to kind of what that means in the cultures of the day. It means, you know, you are responsible for your family. Uh, you know, some of us uh, feel that uh, in a way, you know, culturally, uh, that you know isn't true across the rest of the UK. I mean, in the whole, I think it's one of the one of the strengths of our great city is that there is a, there are real family connections here, and people have a responsibility, feel a responsibility to family that they don't in some of the bigger cities in the, the UK. Of sort of like I'm just going to wander off and I want to do my thing. You guys can sort yourself out. Well, across the world, and particularly in, in these areas that the kind of the Bible is being written, it that if somebody is your family. You have a responsibility for them. There is a there is a care a responsibility of care. So if, so if anybody's suffering in your family and you're not doing something about it, that reflects badly on you, even if it was all their fault. Right? There is a there is a responsibility that means that hey, if he takes the hit, I take the hit. And that is what Paul is saying. I want this for you guys. I want you to have this for one another. Although he's wronged you, I want you to be his brother and welcome him in and to treat him as your brother. So that there is a kind of a partnership, a, a, a kind of a, an acceptance of one another. And as I say, he's not being received into his old role, but it, like the gospel comes and meets and he's in this now elevated and permanent role. Paul, he says this um, in verse uh, 15. He says, for this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a little while. I love this. I love that about Paul. Paul, this is a bit of an aside. Paul, he looks into this messy situation and it's an undoubtedly messy situation, right? One guy has hurt another who has hurt him, has run away. And you're thinking, oh, they're kind of the, you know, you're thinking as a, as a pastor, as a church, that you think, oh, the pastoral implications of that. How do, you, how do you begin to unpack those things? Paul is happy to look at that mess and say, and to see God's hand in it and say, perhaps this is why this happened. So that he, you might receive him as a brother. Not in a kind of a temporary sense, but in a permanent sense. He was removed from you for a little while so that you might receive him forever as a brother. There's this kind of, um, I think, we've, we, again, that's just something we, you know, God is so committed to building his church that even in the mess and the muck, it's sometimes, hey, we're going to bump heads. That's absolutely true, particularly if we're committed to diversity. There are going to be times when culturally, bonk, we don't really understand each other and there's going to have to be some working around. Like, how do we sort that out? How do we... Paul looks at that mess and says, God is building his church. You remember when we did the, our series on encouragement and Barnabas, who comes to this, this infant church, you know, undoubtedly with his mess, he says he saw the grace of God that was among them. He looked at this church with all its bumps and bruises and he saw the grace of God. Hey, that's what Paul is doing here. He sees in this messy situation that he's now trying to tidy up the grace of God in building his church. Hey, look, I, I don't understand this. Why? Like, why? And yet Paul says, I, I can see it. God's hand is over this not just as like a project, but to, to draw Onesimus to himself, to make him his son and to make him your brother. And so Paul does that. 
wonderfully as he kind of uh, he draws that out and shows Onesimus and then talks as he does about church as family. I really want that to be something that is experienced here in reality. That we're not just attenders, that we're not just pew warmers, right? We come in and we sit and we, we're the, in the audience or we're on the stage. No, we're in the family and we belong to one another. We belong to one another and are, are serving one another throughout the week so that if one person is in pain or is in hurt, that same kind of commitment to that person, I'm, gonna, I'm coming in to, to, to take the blow with you or to help you. There's this wonderful picture uh, you care, you know, kind of, again, another snapshot of the early church in Acts where Luke says, and he says it a couple of times, but he says, there were none who were in need amongst them. Remember Jesus' teaching of, hey, if you've got two coats, give one away. And it was amazing. I was, I was reading that. This was a few years ago. Um, I was reading that passage. And then we had a student come stay with us who was doing a kind of an outreach project in, in the city of Hull. And he had... Uh, uh, for whatever reason, he'd lost his coat, um, or, or it had been stolen, or I can't remember, maybe he gave it away. Um, but he was then, suddenly he was in Hull, and you think, Hull is not the place you want to be without a coat. Um, uh, and he, and I just read this passage, and we had just been given uh, by a, f- uh, a member of the family, hey look, we've got all these coats for, for very, very cheap. Pick which one you want, and, and, and you can have it, and the rest, you can you do what you want with it. And we just suddenly, like, presented, hey, I've got more than one coat, and here's a guy without a coat. But Jesus uses this picture, it's very kind of amazing, I can, I can join the dots there. But Jesus uses this picture as a sort of, this is what the life in the church should look like. That people with, with any excess should make sure that there are none in need in the room. I was hearing a story about a church uh, in Southeast Asia during a great famine there. Um, they had two jars set up at the front of church. They were just, just part of just very practical kind of service in this way. Two jars of rice. One that you would put rice in if you had any excess at all, and one that you would take a handful out if you had no food to eat that day. And, and this guy was telling this story, and he said, I saw that, there was, that neither jar was ever empty. You know, it's sort of like people who are you know, living on the, on the very brink of, like, Starvation. There they are saying, actually, I've got more than I need now. Rather than save it for themselves, I'm going to put it in so that nobody goes hungry today. And wonderfully, we see that kind of modeled in that church. And it's just, I think it's a beautiful story. You think, I want to see that here. I want to see that here. Now, I know in the UK, we have a lot of uh, thing, thing, you know, government systems and, and systems of care that mean that, that somebody should never go hungry. Uh, but, but in reality, we, we know that food poverty is a real thing. We, it's one of the reasons why we, uh, we run a, a, a food bank up in North Hull uh, from Orchard Park. So I've heads that up with a team of volunteers, uh, and, and you know they've seen an increase uh, in the need there. Actually, I think that the, what was what used to be the roof is now the floor in terms of the amount of people who come uh, week by week to use that. But that's something that we believe we're called to. But particularly within the church, that should be true. But also, we, we as I say, you know, we've done some traveling. We, we've kind of inputting into churches. Um, but there are churches in regions beyond who, who are really living like this, who are really living like, actually, there's, there's need, there's lack, let me serve. And, and kind of because there's no government systems in place, you know, some of our churches in uh, Mexico, I mean, COVID really highlighted this. There was a, a real sense of, like, we've just got to get, I'm just trying to gather as many onions and rice uh, to be able to distribute to people as possible. And we're seeing the same thing happening in, in parts of India as well. And so it was just a, 
Um, some amazing, amazing stories of generosity and a real encouragement for us to, to live that same way in caring for those in need. In this story, we see that. You know, Philemon, who has his status, his wealth, his influence, Paul is asking him, use those things, your home, your, your influence, your status, to, to, to uh, protect uh, Onesimus, to bring him into the family. And he says, and he, he says you know, and, and pray for me, right? There's another, there's another thing. Paul kind of says to pray for me. And Paul is able to presume upon Philemon's hospitality. Use your home for my benefit. And then Onesimus, who's got no wealth, no uh, influence, is yet able to serve Paul in prison. Right, that's, that's how, so Onesimus is, is, is saved, and yet Paul is in prison, and Onesimus is serving Paul whilst he's in prison. Now, this is a dangerous thing for a couple of reasons. In those days, if you're in prison, there's, there's no sort of government funding to feed you. It's not their job. They don't consider it their job. It is on the family and friends of the person in prison to come and bring food to the, the prisoner. And so what happens is, you know, if, if you've got family and friends, you'll ha- eat. And if you don't have family and friends, you won't eat. Uh, but the dangerous thing is, for, there's double danger for Onesimus because, one, he is a criminal. And he is runaway. He's a runaway slave. And so if he was to dis- be discovered as a runaway slave, he would find himself in, worse, in a worse situation than Paul. And yet he's, he's willing to go into prison not that every time you think, every time he goes in, I'm not sure if I'm going to come out because they might discover me or whatever. And yet he is willing to serve Paul because he's encountered the God who serves him. And then Paul is a prisoner, right? Paul is a, is, is a prisoner uh, for, for political unrest or whatever they might have labeled it in the day. And you think anybody who comes and serves him is endangering themselves as well because because you know, you've, you're tying yourself to this prisoner. You're tying yourself. You say, oh, you're a disciple of Paul. You belong to his teaching. You too should probably be in here with him. And so there's a sort of, you know, Anisimus, although he hasn't got anything to give in his poverty and his lack of status, is willing to put himself on the line to serve Paul in prison. And then Paul, we see it in Paul as well. Paul, who, who uses his spiritual uh, gifts and his, his spiritual authority and his uh, insight and connections for both Onesimus and Philemon without partiality, without saying, okay, I'm going to help Philemon more because he's more valuable. He's a bigger giver, right? He, he does more for us as a church. No, he's, he's, he gives himself to both of these guys and using his influence now to serve Onesimus. Now, there are more lessons to be pulled out of this. And, and as I say, next week, I want to I kind of go through the letter again and, and just draw out some things about what it means for us as, as a church and, and seeing some of these, these gifts at work, particularly kind of the apostolic gift. But um, I, I think there's, there's something for us to take away here about, about that family and about that, that act of care, that act of love. Hey, look, if we really are, you know, if we're putting ourselves in this story, if we really are, church that has received what this church had received if we really are the people who have received the gospel and the love of Jesus these things should be seen in us hey people should be not timid to come forward with their need we know that we're all in need people shouldn't be timid to come forward with their their lack and people should not be reluctant to come forward with the gifts that God has given them to serve others
This is true both physically, you know, I don't want there to be any need in this room because I want our excess to pay for any need. But, but equally, it's, it's true spiritually. As, as together, again, this came up in our prayer meeting, together we see the church built up because each one of us has been given wonderful gifts to serve the others. Each one of us has been given wonderful gifts to serve one another. We saw it this morning in, in these guys who led us from worship so well, the wonderful gifts that, that they've been entrusted with to serve the church. Hey, look, we want to see that both spiritually and in the flesh. To serve one another spiritually, to serve one another in our need. Just as Paul says here, I love that, that Paul is so confident. He knows Philemon so well, having seen his love for the church, having seen his love for Jesus. Paul is so confident. Hey, you're going to do more than I ask. I know that you're going to, you're not just going to write, what's Paul asked me to do? Okay, I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that. I've checked the to-do list. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave us that way, right? The Holy Spirit doesn't give us a list of to-dos and say, go and do them and then you'll be done. But that's, you know, we see that in the Old Testament law. We see that in giving, right? The Old Testament law, okay, how much do I need to give? Okay, I need to give 10% at this point. I need to give another 5% at this point. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit, God himself, comes and inhabits our hearts and, and such, such that we can be, all our creative energy is bent towards loving one another. So that I'm not just asking you to serve one another in this way. I'm saying, I'm asking you to do this. I know you'll do more. I'm asking you to do this. I know you'll do more because the Holy Spirit is in you to release creative, loving energy to serve one another. So that you don't just go, okay, what did Josh ask me to do? He asked me to, uh, to serve this person and make sure they didn't like, da, da, da. but you're going to be looking at one another and going, wow, God has given me this. What else can you imagine? I'm, this is my picture. That you would be uh, going away after hearing maybe some stories of need and you'd be thinking, Oh, what else could I do for this person? God, maybe I could invite them around. Maybe I could uh, cook them a meal. Maybe I could get some time with them. Maybe I could, and then just, just the, all of this going on in your head because, hey, we're not just doing what we're asked to do. We are going to do more because the Holy Spirit inhabits us. He is, he is working in us to love like God loves. And I tell you, God's love doesn't, uh, doesn't stop. At, there's no stop point for God's love. Right, he, he, the, the wonderful picture is he will give pressed down and shaken together. Now, I don't know if you remember, as I, I remember coming back from school, and I'll, I'm going on, I'm rattling, but I remember coming back from school and going back past Woolworths, which is now closed. Um, uh, but, we, but you would go past Woolworths and they used to do these um, uh, pick and mix cups. So rather than the, the bags, which you'd have to pay for the weight, there was a cup, and it was like, as much as you can fit in that cup, um, you, can, you can get for this price. And I tell you, that, that cup was like, it was bursting at the seams. You're thinking, someone, I remember once going in with my friend, and we just were putting in, and the, the lady at the till said, oh, I think, I think that's, that's pretty much done there. You're thinking, I've not even started. Right? Like I, I, I've worked it out, I know exactly how to make these gummy bears fit together in such a way as to get as many of them as possible. By the time you take, take it to the, the counter, it's embarrassing like how many cracks there are in the, in the cup. You're just hoping that the thing holds together long enough for me to pay for it and get out. And, and that is how God loves us. Right? He pressed down and shaken together. He will get as much in there as he can. And he calls us to do the same. He says, and, and Jesus says, and Paul quotes him, it is better to give than to receive. 
That's just not just something that your nan told you. This is, this is true. There is such blessing in giving, such joy in giving. And God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because he's a cheerful giver. And he says, I want to give to you. I want to give to you because I love to give. I love to give. And I want you to enjoy, to enter into the joy of giving just as I enter into it. Come and enjoy this, this wonderful thing with me. Giving, giving, giving. And so, um, you know, our, our, our offering bucket, it goes around and that helps us to do what we do, helps us to pay for uh, the renting of these things, helps, you know, to, to do some of the projects that we, we run. But, but more than that, uh, I want us to be generous to one another. You know, listen to one another. Be thinking, how can I serve this person? How can I help this person? And to then think creatively with one another. Maybe wait, this is something we could do together. Hey, maybe together we're able to serve to such and such and such. Why don't you stand with me?